0: Amen. Good morning. Welcome to all of you in the auditorium. Welcome to all of you who are watching from our, your homes this morning as well, all over the place. We are glad to have you this morning. Isaiah 54 this morning. While you're turning there, based upon what Mike said and what Nicole said, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and uh, do a little advertising a couple weeks ahead. So we're getting ready to finish up Isaiah in the next couple weeks, but starting the first Sunday of September, we're going to be starting a 42-week series through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be walking with Jesus every Sunday, and that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, is walking with Jesus. And the Bible even tells us to not just walk with Jesus, but to walk as Jesus walked. The only way you and I can know how to walk as Jesus walked is to walk with him. And so we're going to be hopefully learning so much as a church as we explore the Gospel of Luke in depth beginning September the 4th. So please be with us. It's going to be an exciting year to be here on Sunday mornings. Today... We're in Isaiah chapter 54. And I actually want to start at the last phrase of the chapter in verse 17, where the prophet Isaiah has been given this message from God to give to his people. Now, remember, this is important. His people are still in exile, but they're just about ready to get released. Think of a horse in the gate, (laughs) and the gate is about ready to get open. And when those horses lock into that gate and that gate flies open, man, those horses take off. And that's the way God wants his people to be. He wants his people to have such a sense of anticipation and expectation that God is getting ready to free them and they're getting ready to go back home. And we realize most of them didn't. Most of them got comfortable in Babylon and got accustomed to Babylon, and they stayed. It was only a small remnant that went back and began to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple and all of that. So God has a message for his people here, and it's a message that you and I can certainly apply to our life. And it begins with this phrase at the end of verse 17 of Isaiah 54, where Isaiah says, this is what the Lord will do. For his servants. And then God says, I will vindicate them, says the Lord. The point that Isaiah is making is everything in this chapter are promises that God is giving his people. But in order for his people to enjoy these promises and to, in a sense, experience what God has for them, they have to embrace these promises by faith. In other words, as soon as they get to go, they got to start heading back home. And as they're even heading back home, they got to head back rejoicing. Even before they start getting settled and rebuilding and all that, they got to go back rejoicing because they're rejoicing in anticipation of what they know their God is going to do. And then they're going to begin to enjoy all these things. But the key is, If they don't embrace these promises by faith, they will never experience them or enjoy them. You and I have that same principle in effect in our own lives even as Christians today. Let me give you an example. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 14, here's what Paul says. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, and then here's the key five words, as you believe in him. In other words, why don't all Christians have joy and peace from the God of hope? Because it's all based on our response of faith. If we're not trusting him at any moment, if we're not believing in him, if we're not putting all of our confidence in him, then we will not be filled with joy and peace. Joy and peace are the results of embracing the promises of God by faith. So therefore, most of our Christian life, we don't enjoy or experience all that God has for us as a people if we're not willing to respond to him in faith. And let's remember something about faith. Faith is positively responding to what God is doing. That's what makes faith different than belief. Okay, I don't, don't want to try to... Because sometimes the New Testament will use the word for faith and translate it as believe, but that's why also the New Testament says the demons do what? Believe. The demons believe and tremble. But obviously we know that demons aren't responding positively positively to what God is doing. They respond negatively. So there's a difference between faith and belief. Demons believe. We are called to live by faith, not by sight. And faith is when God is saying something to us or doing something, and we respond positively to it. We embrace. So again, I direct your attention to the end of verse 70. This is what the Lord will do for his servants. Do they trust him enough, believe in him enough, embrace his promises enough to begin to, in a sense, enjoy and experience what God has for them? With that said, to help us sort of walk through this passage today, I'm going to use some key words that I will throw out, especially those of you that love to do your little outlines and stuff. You'll like this, okay? because it'll help you track through the passage with me. And the first one I want to talk about, then if we go back to the beginning of the chapter in the first couple of verses, is the word festivity. Festivity. Festivity, celebration, whatever, is to mark the people of God. Again, God was saying to his people who were still in exile, as soon as that gate is released and you head back, I want you to head back rejoicing. I want you to head back with a spirit of festivity and celebration as my people. And let's not forget why. Based upon what we talked about last week out of Isaiah 53, that even before we go back and begin to experience freedom from exile, the suffering servant, we know is coming in the Old Testament to lay down his life and carry our sins and carry, you know, our sins away and and grant us forgiveness and a relationship with God. And you and I as the people of God in the New Testament can say the same thing. That even if God did not do one more thing for us for the rest of our earthly life, what he's already done for us in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ is enough for us to get up every day rejoicing and celebrating our God. So notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 54 of Isaiah. Shout for joy. Sing overcome with joy. Hopefully that describes our worship on Sundays and Wednesdays as the people of God. That we are singing and praising God because we are overcome with joy because of God, what God has already done for us and what we anticipate and expect God to do for us in the future based upon his promises. And his promises are so sure that we can even begin to rejoice now even before we experience them. O barren one who has not given birth. God is basically saying, and you realize what you're enjoying as my people is all because of what I've done for you. You didn't do it. I saved you. I created you. I put you in this position. You didn't do nothing to put yourself in this prime position, this advantageous position. No, I did it. You didn't have to do a thing. All you had to do was trust me and believe in me. Then, give a joyful shout. It means to break out or burst out and be loud, by the way. And then he goes on to say, and cry out in cheerful praise. Once again, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one are more numerous than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. He's basically saying that, i put you in a position as his people here where even as you come out of exile, you're in a position now where you're going to outgrow where you were before you went into exile. Exile did not diminish you. It's actually put you in a position where you're going to increase, and you didn't do anything to do that. I've done it for you. And God is saying to his people, are we a people that understand already what God has done for us and the position that we are in? We even sung about, you know, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms and all that God has done for us in Christ. Already we should come together that even when we're going through hard difficult times i realize humanly we may not feel like praising or worshiping the lord but god never asks us to worship him and praise him and celebrate him and have a festive spirit as his people based upon our circumstances or our life situation it's based on who he is and who we are as his people and that never changes that never changes in fact isaiah mentions singing more than any other prophet in the Old Testament. He mentions singing or praising the Lord more than 30 times in this book. He is a prophet that's all about singing and praising the Lord. And I hope that we, as the people of God, come here every Sunday and every Wednesday and every other day that we meet, and that we are a people who who are willing to create a, a festive spirit, if you will, when we come. That we know that as soon as we come here as God's people, we have so much to celebrate already. And that we've got so much to celebrate about what we know is coming for us. Because we know things like to be absent from our body is to be present with the Lord. And as soon as we die, we know where we're going. And we know that glory awaits us for all of eternity. And we know the Bible tells us we're going to rule and reign with Christ. And we know all that God has for us. Jesus has prepared a place for each of us. I mean, on and on we go, right? And so there should always be this spirit of festivity and celebration with his people. Can I get a shout out to the Lord this morning? Shout for joy. Give a joyful shout and cry out in cheerful praise. So God is saying, this is what I'm going to do for you folks. And even as you go back, anticipating and expecting what I'm going to do, you start praising me now. Don't wait for me to fulfill my promises because my promises are so sure you can start praising me for what I'm going to do even before I do it. Festivity. Then notice next in verse 2, fruitfulness. And, and this is so applicable to where we are as a church right now because we are growing. In fact, I know like this Sunday it's not going to look like it because we, you know, kids started back to school. Guess what happened when the kids started back to school? They all got sick. So we have so many families today and so many of our children today who are not with us because they're sick, right? Uh, But I'm really anticipating what's our church going to look like at both services come, say, September, whenever maybe the kids aren't sick anymore and all of our people are back and all of our new people are here, and we're going to be pretty crowded because we are now a church over 300. We've grown that much. We've grown that much even in the summertime, right? So what God is saying to uh, even his people here is very applicable to us. He's saying, I want you to be a festive people. I want my people to be a fruitful people. And I want you actually to plan and prepare for growth. Not just numerical growth, that's part of it, but for spiritual growth. It's... It's healthy for us to always be growing and progressing. So notice what God says to his people in verse 2. Make your tent larger. Basically, as God's people, make room because you're growing. Make room for growth in your life personally. Are you making room in your life for growth? And here's what I mean by that. Some of us live with no margin. We don't have any room in our life. So if God wanted to do something, there's no room to squeeze God in to do anymore because we are at the edges. God is saying to his people, personally, individually, and corporately, I need you to make room to grow. I need you to have some space there so that I can bring more people in that I want to bring into the Oasis. I need you to make room. It's part of the reason why God led us to two services last fall. I need you to make room individually. I need you to make room for me to do more in your life. So you need to give me some margin, God is saying to his people. Notice, stretch your tent curtains farther out. And the word stretch also speaks about going beyond our own comfort zone. Because again, we can get comfortable and growth begins to stretch us a little bit beyond our comfort zone. God is saying to his people, I need you to be in a position of fruitfulness and that means to make room to grow and to get out of your comfort zone and then he says, spare no effort. In other words, don't hold back. Be all in. Don't don't be half be all in don't give me everything you've got so that the growth just is exponential it just begins to, and, and we see that in our church you know for every new family for every new person that comes to our church they know somebody and then they might start going and start talking about our church and say hey you ought to Try the church I've been coming to. I'm, I'm really enjoying it and God is growing me and I'm experiencing the Lord. And then, then if they start coming, then they know something. And, and it just goes out that way. That's the way God wants to be in our lives as well, both individually and corporately. He wants to make us have room and to stretch us out and to put everything we've got in it. Lengthen your ropes, God says, and then he says, pound your stakes deep. In other words, make yourselves in me firm and strong because that's how you can hold up the growth. You see, you can't grow this way unless you're deep enough to be able to support the growth that way. And so God says, I need my people to make sure that they're growing deeper as they're growing wider, you see. And that's true in our life as well. God wants to give us more. And in order for us to handle more, we've got to be stronger in order to receive the more that God has for us. Are we pounding our stakes deeper and deeper into the Lord? For he says, and I love this, he says, verse 3, for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your children, future generations, are going to conquer nations, basically take new ground for me and even resettle desolate cities. You see, God is encouraging his people with this. He says, you realize that I'm not just asking you to be fruitful for your sake. I'm asking you to be fruitful and to grow for the sake of those who are coming after you so that you set them up for success, so that you put them in a good position. And that's what we're trying to do even here at the Oasis. You know, someday I'm going to be in heaven. I'm not going to be the pastor here forever. And so we need to make sure that we, these next 15, 20 years or so, that we are putting the church in a great position where it can be healthy and where it can continue to grow and be all that God wants it to be, even long past some of us are here on this earth. That's what God, that's why God tells his people, be fruitful and be festive. And then God says, be fearless. Look at verse four. Something that Isaiah has repeated over and over and over. And you know why? Because even God's people struggle with fear. It is so easy for us To allow things to begin to cause us to be afraid and shrink back if you will from being and doing all that God has for us fear most of the time holds God's people back we don't want to put ourselves out there we don't want to make ourselves vulnerable we don't want to open ourselves up to criticism Uh, we don't want to be uh, afraid to fail And so we just sort of hide in our little shell and God is saying to his people, I need you to be festive, I need you to be fruitful, and I need you to be fearless. It's the only way you can experience and enjoy all that I have for you as my people. Stand in awe of no one or nothing but me. That's what the word fear really means. The more we are in awe of God, the less we will be in awe of anything or anyone else. When God has his rightful place in our life, in our vision, in our perspective, our mindset, then those things that are really big now, they don't become so big anymore. That was the problem with the children of Israel. Remember when they were getting ready to go into the promised land that God had promised for them? That he said, if you just have faith, you'll experience and enjoy all these wonderful things. And what did the spies come back and say? Oh, we can't, we can't do that. Even though God said you could. No, we can't, because there's giants in the land. Giants, really, compared to God? That shows how small God had become in the eyes of his people and how big the giants had become. And that's true in our life. And when we lose sight of God, when we forget how big and great and all of that our God is, then these other things that really aren't very big become really big. And God is saying, don't be afraid for you will not be put to shame. You will not ever be disappointed as my people. Don't be intimidated. Don't shrink back or back down from what I have for you, for you will not be humiliated. For just a few moments, keep your finger in Isaiah 54, and let's go back and retrace some of these fear not passages in Isaiah, because they're good to just be reminded of. Go back to Isaiah 41. Isaiah chapter 41, and let's remind ourselves of some of these. And I would encourage you that if, you struggle with fear, or even if you don't, to mark these verses in your Bible. First of all, Isaiah 41, 10. Don't be afraid, God says to his people, for I am with you. Don't be frightened, for I am your God. I strengthen you. Yes, I help you. Yes, I uphold you with my saving right hand. Verse 13. For I am the Lord, your God, the one who takes hold of your right hand, who says to you, don't be afraid. I am helping you. Verse 14, don't be afraid, despised, insignificant Jacob, men of Israel. I am helping you, says the Lord, your protector, the Holy One of Israel. Then go over to chapter 43 with me for a moment. Chapter 43, verses 1 and verse 5. Now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, O Jacob, informed you, O Israel, don't be afraid, for I will protect you. I call you by name, you are mine. Verse 5, don't be afraid, for I am with you. From the east I will bring your descendants, and from the west I will gather you. And two others, chapter 44, verses 2 and verse 8. This is what the Lord, the one who made you says, the one who formed you in the womb and helps you. Don't be afraid, my servant Jacob, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Verse 8. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. Did I not tell you beforehand and decree it? You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? There is no other sheltering rock. I know of none. Over and over and over again. What's God's message to his people through the prophet Isaiah? Don't Be afraid. You and I can never experience all that God has for us when we are afraid. When we allow fear to hold us back from all that God has for us as a church and for each of us individually. Festivity, fruitfulness, fearlessness, then look back at Isaiah 54 for the second part of that verse. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Notice what God says to his people. You will forget about the shame you experienced in your youth. You will no longer remember the disgrace of your abandonment. God is saying to his people here, and he's saying this to us even today, your failures and your defeats must be put behind you. You cannot allow, we cannot allow The things that we have done in the past to determine us, define us, or drive us at this point. Listen, Satan will always try to tie us to our past. Jesus sets us free to be able to experience our future. And that's why the Bible over and over again is talking to us about the forgiveness of God and to put those things behind. Listen, God says... I forget about it I throw your sins into the depths of the sea I put your sins into the sea of forgetfulness I don't think about them anymore I don't bring them up they're not in my mind and so I want you to forget about them too we use the phrase uh, many times I need to learn to forgive myself I particularly don't like that phrase I think the better way to say it is I need to learn to receive the forgiveness that God has already given me. I need to accept by faith the forgiveness that I'm already forgiven. That's what I need to do as a Christian, you see. Because God has already forgiven us in Christ. We talked about that, past, present, and future. He doesn't throw our sins up anymore into our face and never will. They've all been put on Jesus and done away with. Jesus is the scapegoat who carried our sins far away. So God, in a sense, is saying to his people, why do you continue to think about them?" Why do, you, why do you continue to allow your spiritual enemy to throw these things up in your mind? They are only holding you back from where I want to take you. I've set you free so that you can experience your future. Listen, if anybody could have allowed their past to hold them back as a Christian from being all that God wanted them to be, it would have been a man by the name of Paul who was Saul because we all know what Saul did before he became Paul on the road to Damascus. He was complicit in murdering Christians. I mean, if anybody would have said, I've done so many bad things, I've done so much sin, I have sinned against my God so much, how could God ever use me? How could he ever do anything with me? It would have been Paul and Paul says these words to the Philippians I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus I forget the things that are behind me and I press towards the mark forgetting what is behind me now again you and I can't physically forget the word speaks about bringing it to our minds all the time basically the word means don't pay any attention to it anymore. Don't, don't let it be, because again, we get so caught up with our past that we can't move forward to the future that God has for us. And God is saying to his people, I want you to be festive, I want you to be fruitful, I want you to be fearless, and I want you to be forgiven. I want you to accept my forgiveness and forget about the things that you've done in the past and let's start over again, you see. Because it's only when we can do that can we truly enjoy and experience what God has ahead for us because now we've gotten our heads out of our past. And some of you know. Some of the things that I did when I was younger in my... In fact, some of you just learned about those last night that we were with here from the church. And I said to them, I, I'm just an example and a trophy of God's grace. If God can use me, God can use anybody. And there's things that I did, you know, when I was younger that I'm just glad God is a forgiving God. And I'm glad that God doesn't hold those things against us. And God gives us fresh start. And maybe some of you need to hear that today. Maybe you've had a bad week, a bad month, a bad year. Okay, I get it. We've all been there. Let the saving grace and forgiving wonder of God just wash over you and let the blood of Jesus Christ just take those sins and those failures and all of that and just wash them all away and start new with God today. And then fidelity. The other word I want to use to track us through this passage. God is basically saying here in verses five through the rest of the chapter, we had this husband-wife thing going here, right? Israel and, and, and we sort of know that as a church. Not that Israel's a church and not that the church is Israel. They must always be kept separate. But in a similar way, God viewed his people in the Old Testament the way he views his people in the New Testament, as his bride, right? So God is saying, look, I, I separated myself from you for a while. That's what the exile was. We needed to separate. We, we, you, you needed to learn how good you had it with me, and, and you, you needed to have that time to, to return to me and come back to me, right? Right? And so God allowed that separation, right? But God truly never abandoned his people or else they would have never made it through the exile and come out the other side. Even though that language, you might find that kind of language in Isaiah here. So I'm just going to concentrate on a couple verses because the reason I chose the word fidelity is not only because it starts with F, like all the other words do, but because it talks about an unbreakable devotion. That's what the word fidelity is, a devotion, a commitment. And what you find from God here to his people is he's saying to his people, Old Testament and to us today, I'm devoted to you. I'm committed to you. Notice beginning in verse 5. For your husband. The one you are in an intimate relationship with is the one, first of all, who made you, who created you, who brought you into existence. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. And I am also the Lord who commands armies, the Lord of hosts. I am your protector, your kinsman redeemer. I am the Holy One or the Holy Other One of Israel. And Isaiah says, oh, and our God is also called the God of the entire earth, the Almighty, the All-Sufficient One. Elohim is the Hebrew word for God here. He says in verse 7 through Isaiah, for a short time I did abandon you in the exile, but with great compassion I will gather you or restore you. And by the way, notice in the word compassion is what other word? Passion. God has a passion for his people. He says in verse 8, In a burst of anger, I rejected you momentarily, but with lasting devotion, with loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says your protector, the Lord. So then notice, this is sort of the high point to me of the whole chapter, verse 10. God is saying to his people here, even if the mountains were removed and the hills displaced, listen, what do we think is more firm, more stable, more secure in our world than a mountain? I mean, I live out there by the superstition mountain. I look up at that mountain every day. It looks pretty solid to me. But God is saying, you realize that mountain can move pretty easily if I want it to. So he's saying, what you and I think in this world is pretty firm, secure, and solid is nothing compared to my devotion to you. Because God says, even if the mountains were removed, even if the hills were displaced, those things that we would count to be so firm, so secure, and so stable, he says, my devotion will not be removed from you my special favor and affection, nor will my covenant of friendship ever be displaced. It will never waver. You are always going to be safe with me. Safe in God. We've talked about that through this series. Isaiah is all about where do God's people find our surety, our stability, our security. It's in God. It's in his lasting unbreakable devotion and commitment to us, and then on top of that to his promises that are reliable, dependable, and trustworthy. That's where our surety, security, and stability is in. Not anything on the earth, says the Lord, verse 10, the one who has compassion on you, the one who loves you with an everlasting love. That's where we find our security, stability, and surety, in the fidelity of God towards his people. And then God goes on to say, I'm not only in a sense rebuilding and restoring my people, when I take you back to Jerusalem and to Israel, I'm rebuilding your homes and your places of worship and I'm going to rebuild that place so verse 11 through the rest of the chapter is really God's promises to not only rebuild the people but to rebuild the place where they live and then he comes down to verse 15 and basically says because of my fidelity if anyone dares to challenge you it's not going to be me that's doing it and whoever tries to challenge my people they're going to suffer defeat look I create the craftsman who fans the coal into a fire, who forges the weapon. I create the destroyer so he might devastate. But no weapon forged against my people is going to succeed or prosper. And I will refute everyone who tries to accuse you. God is basically saying, and you realize because of me, you're invincible and unstoppable as my people. Nothing's going to happen to you until it's time, until I call you home. I'm going to supernaturally provide and protect you. And that's where our surety and stability and security comes in. And God is offering all of these wonderful promises and and this wonderful position and this enjoyment of him and, and this experience with him to his people. But his people will never enjoy and experience it if they don't embrace it by faith. Because God says, this is what I will do. But you got to trust me. you got to start taking that further step and keep moving with me. Otherwise, if you stay where you are, you're going to miss out on all that I had planned for you over here. And see, I believe God is saying the same thing to us right now at the Oasis. I think he's saying, look, you're growing You're making room for the new people that are coming and the new things that are going to be happening. But I need you to keep going because if you don't keep moving with me individually, personally, and corporately, you're not going to experience and enjoy all that I have for you down the road. And as you go, I need you to be a festive people. I need you to be a fruitful people. I need you to be a fearless people. I need you to be a forgiven people, and I need you to be a people that knows that your God is a God who is absolutely 100% devoted to you, that he will always be there. And he promises us that. He tells us, I will never leave you or abandon you. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. Will we embrace all that God has for us today by faith? While you're closing your eyes and bowing your head with me in prayer, I'm going to ask our worship team to come and get set here on the platform. Father, we pray today that just as the people in Isaiah's day had a choice, they could stay where they were or they could keep moving with you by faith, that God, many of them chose to stay where they were. God, I hope that that would not be true of us. I hope that both individually and corporately, we will say by our words and by our actions, God, we're with you. We're with you. We want to continue to experience all and enjoy all that you have for us, and we want to move forward. And God, you've sort of shown us what that means for us. We need to be a festive people, a fruitful people, a fearless people, a forgiven people and a people who trust in the fidelity of their God, who knows their God will always be there for them. So God, today, maybe we all just need to sort of seal something in our heart with you today. Maybe we need to make a a recommitment to just continuing to follow you down the path that you have for us. Whatever it looks like, God, may we not be like the demons who simply believe and tremble, but may we be the people of faith who respond positively, God, to what you're doing and moving and working in our midst. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond positively today. Would you stand and let's worship the Lord as we close.